The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 5. We continue in this gospel series. When I arrived on the campus of Vanderbilt University for my freshman year, I was wearing what I would call an obnoxious Christian t-shirt. Uh, this t-shirt had a picture of pigs that were hurling themselves off of a cliff, and uh, there was a reference to Matthew 8, the parallel passage of, that we'll preach from this evening. With a caption above the picture that said, Pigs in space. Well, I thought I was clever. Had come to campus to turn this pagan place around and come find out there were many Christians at the college I attended and uh, very fruitful ministries that had long preceded my arrival. Jesus breaks into new ground in our passage bringing a message of hope and power to an evidently Gentile region. And upon his arrival, he faces fierce opposition. But Jesus turns this opponent 180 degrees around as he restores a man's dignity. In doing so, offers you and I the same hope of transformation by the power and grace of God. Please follow as I read from Mark Chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed, 
and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, this is a remarkable demonstration of your power and your testimony to a world in darkness. And we pray that you might enlighten our minds and hearts. Help us to receive the same power and grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Over four years ago, when our family moved into our current house, we decided to install new flooring in several of the rooms downstairs. And uh, at one point, I decided I needed some help uh, to finish a project, and so I decided to to pay two men for a day, men that I had ministry contacts with here at the church. And uh, the one man was a recovering heroin addict who I, I had visited several times in the county jail, Uh, The other was a man from Sudan, uh, a refugee, one of the lost boys who uh, came in large numbers about two decades ago to Philadelphia and relocated here to Lancaster. And both these men, in their own way, were recovering from bondage, the one to drugs, the other to a society of oppression and hard poverty. And uh, our task for the day was to install hardwood flooring in our dining room And as each of these men had struggled to some extent to get reliable work, I thought it'd be a good idea to offer them, you know, an opportunity to earn a good day's wage, uh, to work together, to spend time together, and also help me finish my project more quickly as it had begun to drag along. Well, as we were working, it didn't take me long to realize that my, my friend who was in recovery from addiction was a really hard worker, a very good worker. Uh, But in contrast, the the man from Sudan demonstrated very little work ethic. And so I would try to encourage him and coach him, give him some instruction and motivation, but nothing worked. I could not get him to to engage, understand. And it wasn't hard work. It was was taxing, but not difficult to understand. And um, I knew he had some health issues, but that really wasn't hindering him from work. He He really just wasn't that interested, Uh, even the prospect of earning a decent day's wage. He really had very little sense of urgency and just kind of frittered away his time and was happy just to watch the two of us do most of the work. And my friend in recovery just managed to ignore him and uh, helped me get the project done for the day. Uh, One of the ironies of that situation was that the man from Sudan's name was Dang. And I was tempted to say, dang it, dang, get to work. But I refrained and tried to encourage him. And my relationship with him withered over time. And I do know that he kind of moved around from place to place and lived in people's basements and lived off government uh, dependency for the better part of two years. And then 
About two years ago, I last heard from him from North Dakota. He made his way, way up there at the tail end of the oil boom to find work, uh, but didn't work long because the oil boom soon became an uh, oil bust. And once again, he was out of work. Here were two men. Two men who were suffering kinds of indignities, one from drug abuse that had cost him his freedom and jail time and, and the rigors of parole life, which is not pleasant. The other from a dysfunctional society where he had not learned how to work, uh, was inclined to live in dependency upon our government. And it, it, it gave me focus how, a, how men gained their sense of dignity, their sense of worth through self-determination, independence, through the ability to provide for themselves and a the family, to serve as a protector, the ability to exercise self-control and not be subject to bondage of any kind. The demon-possessed man in our passage had none of these things. He was a complete slave to evil spirits. But in this demonstration of the power of God, we see a man's life transformed. As his dignity is restored into the likeness of God, in the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus arrives on shore, he exits the boat, and he's like allied soldiers storming the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. He's in enemy territory and immediately faces resistance from a man with an unclean spirit. He's in Gentile country by location and by the evidence of a herd of pigs nearby, an unclean animal that Jews would not go near. And out comes a man who lived among the tombs. Who does that? Well, only the deranged. Those who were alienated, the rejects of society. This was the town menace. You know, I suppose every town has their town crazy. The hermit who lives on the outskirts of the town all alone. But here it's apparent that this man had a kind of truce with the town, that he was in some type of exile out by the town cemetery. Now, in those days, people would bury their dead in natural caves or cut tombs out of the limestone. And it was natural, it was a natural place for a man possessed to dwell under the popular belief that tombs were the haunting places of demons. It says that this man had been bound, but due to supernatural strength or perhaps just a high pain tolerance, he broke himself free from his shackles. He couldn't be bound, not even with chains. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one could control him, nor did he have any self-control. And people fear what they can't control. I imagine a man without clothes, emaciated, his wrists and ankles worn raw, or perhaps callous from working those shaffles and cuffs off of his wrists and ankles. He was a total wreck of a man, incurable, hopeless, in despair, isolated, alienated from everybody. Verse 5 says that he cried out day and night, cutting himself with stones. He loathed others as much as he loathed himself. How did he eat? Did he steal? 
maybe a pig or two on occasion? Did people from the town bring him scraps? Did the town boys dare one another to see how close they could come to his lair? Did parents and teachers threaten their naughty children? We'll send you up to Old Legion if you don't behave. This gospel picture reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king who was punished for his pride going insane and exiled from his throne for seven years. Like the proud prince from Beauty and the Beast, here is a man reduced to something that is barely human anymore, needing someone, something more powerful than his demonic captors to deliver him. Notice the response of the man when he sees Jesus. He runs to Jesus and falls down before him. This man is irresistibly drawn to Jesus, yet dreads him. He cries out in a loud voice. He names Jesus as the Son of the Most High God. He pleads mercy. He begs Jesus not to torment him. You can imagine the the astonishment of the twelve disciples who had just witnessed Jesus calm a mighty storm on the sea and about to calm a mighty storm within a man in deep bondage. Jesus asks his name, demonstrated his authority over the situation. My name is Legion, for we are many, he says. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers. Verse 13 indicates that these Demons drove a herd of 2,000 pigs over the edge of a cliff. That's a lot of demons for one man. Twice, Legion begs Jesus. First, not to be sent out of the country, and secondly, to be allowed permission to go into a herd of pigs to destroy the good creation of God. Jesus surprisingly fulfills their, grants their request. And consequently, the herdsmen and the townspeople are in an uproar. When they come to investigate the scene, they find two people who are calm. Jesus and the man called Legion, clothed and in his right mind. It's tragic that many people choose to remain in their bondage-like Legion holding on to it rather than yielding to the pain of being changed by the power of Christ. You know, we might easily relate this man to certain categories of people, perhaps the mentally ill, those with severe drug addictions. I've spoken with both categories of people who express deep, dark moments of despair and torment, feeling condemned to hell itself feeling oppressed by supposed demonic influence. Such people need more than medical science to deliver them from bondage. They need the gospel. They need the loving community of committed Christians who can help them restore their dignity. But for many of us, this is a kind of bondage that that scares us. It's foreign to us, or perhaps it eerily reminds us of our own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You know, I'm convinced that all people are a bit loony. All of us have addictions to some extent, though many or or some are less destructive than others. None of us is normal. 
But Jesus is about making us normal again. God is in the business of rescuing his people from bondage. He delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. He delivered them again from bondage to various oppressors from exile in Babylon. And he sent his only son to deliver us from the ultimate bondage of our sin. It's only through Christ and the power of the gospel that we are set free from our shackles of guilt and shame. You see, without Christ, we're trapped. We are as shackled and helpless as this man chained among the tombs. Apart from Christ, we are alienated in our relationships. We don't know how to be humble, how to be transparent, how to lend grace, how to receive grace. But Jesus can loosen our chains. Sinners are hell-bent on self-destruction apart from the saving grace of God. And friend, I appeal to you, why would you remain in your bondage? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Shake off your guilty chains, restore your dignity. Allow Christ to purify your heart, to renew your mind. You know, some people ask, why? Why do these demons ask to be permitted to go into the herd of pigs? And, so, and why did Jesus let them? You know, I don't know the ins and the outs of Jesus' interaction with these demonic spirits, but I do believe that this passage is affirming something. That the dignity of this man was worth more than other people's economic interest. These demons are allowed to destroy God's good creation. Jesus just lets them. But he will not let them continue to destroy a man, the crown of God's creation, who bears the very image of God. Notice that Jesus does not offer compensation to the herdsmen. Today, Jesus would likely be sued. I believe there's an application here to our society that's increasingly losing its value, its sense of value of human dignity. People may be zealous for animal rights, environmental protections, but care very little for the unborn, the chronically ill, the disabled, the elderly, the education of urban children, women trapped in sex trafficking. There's a message also to those of us who are concerned about the vulnerable in society. Are we willing to spend our time and our money to help our loved ones and people in our community find deliverance from their bondage? You know, I can sympathize with these herdsmen who were likely angry over the loss that they had suffered. However, as you advance in the narrative, the the townspeople's response to this great miracle was very telling. You would think that they might rejoice at the the glorious normalization of this man called Legion. Some people were probably related to him. Their their season of burden and embarrassment was finally over. But how do they respond? They're afraid. In fact, so afraid that they beg Jesus to leave their area. Legion had been beyond their control. 
But here's a man who is greater than legion, who is way beyond their control. They want nothing to do with them. You know, Jesus' presence costs them dearly in terms of the world's goods. Remember the anger of the men of Philippi. Angry when, when Paul cast out a spirit of a little girl and they no longer were able to gain material, material from her abilities. The idol makers in Ephesus were greatly enraged when gospel preaching led to the fallout of the idol market. It completely bottomed out as people converted to Christ. The gospel is very attractive. As long as it doesn't hit our bank accounts. I pose a question to you. Do you want to go with Jesus? Or do you want Jesus to go? There are some who value pigs more than a man's salvation. Americans spend more money a year on pet food than on foreign missions. The crowds preferred Barabbas over Jesus. Here the crowds preferred the demon-possessed legion over the man who is now transformed in his right mind. People cling to their sins that will destroy them, but beg Jesus to leave them, not wanting to undergo change and transformation. You and I, as believers, have an obligation to see people for their God-given worth and not as mere objects of exploitation. Our Christmas offering next month will go to the North Star Initiative's Light Up the Harbor campaign to provide a safe house for women rescued from sex trafficking right here in Lancaster County. By giving resources to this project, we help communicate to our community that that people are more valuable than many sparrows and pigs. The Christmas season reminds us that God has affirmed human dignity by sending his own son in human flesh. He who is rich for our sakes became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. The resurrection assures us that we are worth salvaging. We're worth being restored no matter how deep our bondage. Well, this man is not only dignified by being restored into a right mind, but also we see he's enlisted into the Lord's service. Jesus is now leaving at the request of the townspeople. He's satisfied that his work there is finished. But this man asked to go with Jesus. He doesn't want to go back to the town. Why would he? They hated him. They abused him. They rejected him. He may even be facing crimes. He may be facing uh, the need to reconcile and apologize for things that he had done. That's a very painful, unpleasant process. But By the way, notice the number of times in this passage people are begging. We have... The demons begging not to be sent to the abyss. The people begging for Jesus to leave, and now this man begging to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, go home. Tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. It's ironic that Jesus refuses the request of a man who trusted him, but he had granted the request of those people who had rejected him. 
When people refuse and reject Jesus, the result is the hardening of their hearts. But when people accept Jesus, their hearts are made new. This man obeys and goes home and spreads his story all throughout the Decapolis, ten Gentile cities on the eastern edge of Israel in the Sea of Galilee. Legion becomes an ambassador for Christ. Later in Mark 7, when Jesus returns to the area, the people bring to him a man who was deaf and partly dumb. They believe that Jesus could deliver this man, perhaps persuaded by the story of Legion. Jesus sends this very unlikely missionary, this first homegrown missionary to the Gentiles of the Decapolis. He's a very unlikely candidate, someone who would barely pass a missionary agency's psychological evaluation. But he has a testimony to share, a powerful impression, a powerful encounter with the living God made flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ, this man of former notoriety. is a testimony to the power and grace of God. And this will become the beginning of the end of the Decapolis as a pagan outpost of Greco-Roman cities. In the centuries that will follow, Christianity will spread like wildfire in this region. In fact, the city of Pella, among the Decapolis, was a place that was a home base for some of the earliest church leaders. And Eusebius, or the church history in reports, that believers fled to escape the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD to this very region. People who have been forgiven much, love much. The ones who have experienced a glorious deliverance from bondage can oftentimes be the best witnesses. This reminds you and I not to despair over people in our lives who are in bondage. You may have somebody in prison, on drugs, someone suffering with severe mental illness, someone who's suffering the consequences of sinful choices. God offers new dignity to those who believe and repent. But we must forsake our sins, lay down our idols, but ours is the privileged dignity to serve as witnesses of the living God. Where is the Decapolis in your life? Who are the unreached? Who are the people you fear will never turn from their sins? Pray. Pray for the boldness of Legion to tell your story. To introduce your loved ones to the Lord who sets captives free. In the beginning, God endowed humankind with great dignity. Psalm 8 has a beautiful echo of God's intent to crown mankind in glory and honor. But then our first parents rebelled, and every other sinner ever since has indignified the human race in rebellion, idol, idolatry, and immorality of violence and vice. And God would be just to leave us in our indignity, to punish us eternally for having marred his crowning achievement over creation. But God chose to send his son to wear a crown of thorns. He was subjected to humiliation by wicked men. Jesus became indignity for us. 
He suffered unimaginable indignity, butchered, beaten to the point of of unrecognition, crucified in a Roman cross. Jesus suffered indignity to restore our dignity. He was dehumanized to make us human again. In the prior passage, chapter 4 of Mark, we see there some similarities. Some similarities of Jesus' experience on the, on the boat on the, in, the, in the stormy sea. A parallel with the story of Jonah. Both stories have a raging storm, scared sailors, a sleeping prophet, and a miraculous ending. Je- Jonah was thrown into the sea to calm the storm. Jesus was not thrown into that storm in Mark 4, but he calmed that storm by the word of his power. But later Jesus would throw himself into the hurricane of God's almighty wrath to quench that storm. So that you and I, though we might suffer the storms of this life, we will not suffer the eternal storm that awaits the unrepentant sinner on the day of judgment. Jesus destroyed destruction. Jesus broke brokenness. He put death to death. And those of us with faith in Christ have dignity that no one can ever take away. No amount of bullying or abuse can rob us of the dignity that is ours in Christ. God clothes our nakedness, heals our diseases, cleanses us from the filth of our sin. Christian, hold your head high. Not in proud indignation, but rather joyful celebration of your new dignity as a child of the king. And if you lack that dignity, perhaps you must take off the false dignities of this world. Status, money, approval, all these things that fade away and trade them in for for a dignity that lasts for eternity. Jesus has come to deliver us from the bondage of our sin and our guilt, to restore us to a right mind and a pure heart, to endow us with worth, to enlist us in his kingdom service, that we might testify to the greatness of his grace, to the holy, dignified one who humbled himself to death on a cross and was raised up in glorious splendor. Come. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have new dignity, we have restoration and transformation. And I pray that you give each of us the faith and the hope to appropriate that grace to to walk as people set free, that we might be your ambassadors. We might testify to the greatness of your grace the power of the gospel that has turned our lives around. May you bless us and equip us for a week of service in your kingdom. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.